Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is the 19th of October, 2021. So today I'm going to recapitulate some of our discussion of lymphocytic differentiation at a very general level. And then I'm going to talk to you about something um, that I brought into the discussion about a month and a half ago, and that had to do with lipid raft migration and its association with T cell differentiation and signaling. I mentioned it um, briefly in the early summer, talked about it in greater detail in late summer, and now we're going to revisit it. Now, the reason we're bringing all this up, lipids in T cell activation and signaling is because recall that lipid metabolism, dyslipidemia, is very common in the aged population. And this dyslipidemia plays a major role in the dysfunction of the immune response. And the dysfunction of the immune response is associated with hyperimmune and hypoimmune-mediated morbidity that can ultimately lead to death in the elderly. And this includes all kinds of neurodegeneration, cardiovascular disease, cancer, as well as the host of metabolic diseases that we've been talking about for the last 11 months. So this is how we get there, okay? That's all. So I described all that in less than two minutes. And so now you got uh, the synopsis. Let's go into the detail. Again, Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry doing this because I have nothing better to do, which means I'm really glad to do it. Now, again, very, very briefly, you have a lymphoid stem cell and it can generate myeloid stem cells, which can then further differentiate into platelets, erythrocytes, neutrophils, macrophages. You also have a lymphoid stem cell lineage, which can give you a pre-B cell or bone marrow cell, and then ultimately a B cell can be differentiated into a plasma cell after T cell activation, and then um, antibodies, the secreted glycoproteins known as IgG uh, or immunoglobulins, commonly referred to as antibodies, can then be secreted, and they would then launch a specific attack on an antigen generating a response in the acquired immune pathway, either via memory cell reactivation or via the uh, induction of a utilization of B cells that have been recombined to uh, be activated according to surface antigens as presented to either T cells directly or B cells directly. Okay, so that's real quick, but that's all you need. Now in the thymus, you're going to have these bone marrow lymphoid stem cells, going to be pre-T cells, and then the thymus, you're going to get CD4 positive, CD8 positive. CD4 positive lineages are going to give you Th1 and Th2, as well as the Tregs and T17s, whereas the CD8 positive, single positive, is going to give you cytotoxic T lymphocytes, plus a host of other CD8 type of cells in the in the T lymphocyte lineage that are primarily going to be functioning either cytotoxicity or also when doing inducing a pro-inflammatory response because of cytokines, 
but in a way that is not a cell-cell interaction as much as it is a um, a cell in, uh, induction of another cell's apoptosis, necrotosis, sometimes senescence or ferritosis. Okay, so these again are very brief outline of where we're at with that. Now, to give you a better understanding of the lineage, think about a primary exposure to an antigen. You're going to get phagocytosis, say, by a primary macrophage. Then you're going to get antigen presentation via the, the macrophage or some other APC. It's going to stimulate that T helper cell lineage, THs. And when you stimulate, you're going to have an activated helper T cell. That will stimulate B cells. B cells can also um, initially be exposed to the primary antigen, the same one the T cell is, okay? Same one that the macrophage picked up, actually. So you have the helper T cells stimulating those B cells, which were otherwise initially naive. The B cells can go on to make plasma cells and plasma cells, the IgG. The plasma cells can also be responsible for any secondary or subsequent antibody response after representation of antigen. We talked about this last time. The B cells can also differentiate into memory B cells, which can be reactivated by memory helper T cells, which can be differentiated from the regular helper T cell population. So the secondary exposure to antigen or a subsequent exposure to antigen will reactivate the memory helper T cells, which will reactivate the memory B cells, either because of the antigen or with the aid of the memory helper T cells after activation. Those memory B cells then will be differentiated to now plasma cells and new antibody will be made. Helper T cell finally can also stimulate cytotoxic T cells. Uh, we talked about this. Get um, gives rise to directly more memory T cells uh, of the non-helper lineage, those would be the CD8 positive. And also, of course, cytotoxic T cells would give rise to, after further activation, active cytotoxic T lymphocytes. Okay, so that's a very brief summary. So let's get into some new things. Um, actually, we talked about this before, but the, there's a physiological pathway that deals with T cell activation. It's called the JAK-STAT. This is a kinase pathway, kinase transcription factor pathway. So JAKs, the K stands for a kinase, so they possess tyrosine kinase activity. And they're associated now within the cell in the cytoplasmic regions of the cell where there is type 1, type 2 cytokine receptors within the cytoplasm. You get a multimerization of receptors, which occurs when the ligands bind, sometimes as heteromultiples, sometimes as homomultiples of these receptors intracellularly. And this is where interferons and interleukins can actually do some regulation in terms of the accumulation of these multimeric forms and these cytosolic receptor-associated regions that are going to deal with the JAK-STAT pathway. So the activation of the JAK receptor then induces first a transphosphorylation and then a subsequent recruitment of uh, one or more stats, because there are several stats. I think there's six STATs, stats. And they can be phosphorylated at varying degrees, and they can dimerize, and they have to dimerize. And when they dimerize, the stats will enter the nucleus, and they're going to regulate then at the transcriptional level, differentiation of all those T helper cell lineages we've been talking about so much. So more detail. Jack stat regulates TH cells 
with two mechanisms. We've talked about this in the past. I'm just recapping it. Canonical and non-canonical. Canonical pathway is activated by receptor binding to the ligand. And it's inactivated by negative regulators. Remember which ones those were. Those were the SOCs, S-O-C-S, and the SHPs. Those are proteins. That will enlist other signaling, uh, signal transduction cascades, I might want to say, such as the phosphatidylinositol 1,3-bis kinase, the mitogen-activated kinase, or MAP kinase, and of course the ERK, which is, as everyone knows, the extracellular receptor kinase. That's all part of the canonical pathway for JAK-STAT. The non-canonical pathway is dealing with essentially unphosphorylated stats. They will localize into heterochromatin. Remember, that's relatively non-expressing DNA because it's collapsed. And that's going to all be going down, of course, in the nucleus. Um, this kind of pathway has also been associated with some mitochondrial DNA activation. But we'll talk about that in a separate um, section. So heterochromatin in the nucleus is associated with special proteins that are going to contribute overall to the heterochromatin state. Remember, that also has to do with epigenetic phenomena, right? Methylation versus acetylation. Acetylation is going to remove the heterochromatin state, for example. <clears throat> Whenever stat phosphorylation becomes increased, though, within this non-canonical pathway, and that's going to happen again by JAK or even other tyrosine kinase activity, the amount of unphosphorylated stat is going to be reduced on the heterochromatin, obviously. And that dispersed now phosphorylated stat one through six uh, peppering of those proteins within that chromatin is going to locate to cognate sites and going to generate euchromatin. And that will then induce global gene expression because of the transcriptional repertoire, and that's going to lead then ultimately to the expression of all the genes necessary for the TH lineage, you see. Now, more details. The CD4-positive TH cells will differentiate into the effector subsets. And remember, those are TH1, TH2, and TH17. You're also going to get Tregs. So TH1 cells eliminate intracellular pathogens via the cytokine interferon gamma. We call that activating cell-mediated immunity. You're also going to get TH2 cells, and those are going to be the major players in immunity against parasites, especially helminths, but also they're going to be involved in the allergic reactions because they're being working with eosinophils. TH2 cells basically produce in leukin 4 and 13, and it's been well-established. They will stimulate B cells to produce, actually, immunoglobulin epsilon and also interleukin-5. And that's going to cause this asinophil recruitment and development that I was talking about. Okay. Now, TH17 cells, of course, eradicate extracellular bacteria. So that means you need a neutrophil enrichment and an inflammation associated with those neutrophils, which is okay because they're always circulating. And that participates also in an antifungal response. So extracellular bacteria and antifungal. And that TH17-specific transcription factor, remember, reminding again, is ROR gamma T. That's retinoic acid receptor-related orphan receptor gamma T. And that's going to then induce the signature cytokine for these cells in leukin 17. Treg cells regulate yet all the other T-cell subsets, as we've talked about many times, and their main job is to suppress all the pathological immune responses 
and that's going to be associated with the transcription factor FOXP3. Okay, so that again was very quick, but we proved this up. Now, finally, here's a paper published back in 2001. This is going to give you now what I wanted to talk about in great detail. There's an alteration of the immune response in aging that leads to an increased incidence of infections and cancers and autoimmune diseases. We all know this. So we want to know what interleukin-2 is doing in terms of receptor stimulation. Now, this paper was published way back in 2001, so they weren't just looking at cytokines, they were still looking at membranes. And I say still, all of this work initially came from membrane studies. Uh, from Journal of Lipid Research, for example. People were interested in membrane topodynamics. You know, that means the migration and alteration of membrane lipids with proteins. So that's how all of us came into play when studying the immune response. So this paper published in Mechanics of Aging and Development uh, told us at probably the very first time how JAKSAT signaling, um, when, you, when you look at how age relates to JAKSAT signaling, it signaling, it causes, aging causes that signaling to decrease. And what you get, of course, the first thing, symbolic association is tyrosine phosphorylation tanks. Okay. Which of the uh, phosphorylation cascades is it most triggered on? STAT5. Remember the whole euchromatin thing I was just mentioning. So what they showed in this paper was that cholesterol content regulated the signaling in those T cells. Did so by modulating the proliferation of those cells by using um, the increase or decrease in cholesterol association with the plasma membrane. So this paper wanted to study that cholesterol content of the plasma membrane associated with JAKSAT signaling and T, signaling and T lymphocytes. So they use a compound called methyl beta cyclodextrin. So methyl beta cyclodextrin or M beta CD is actually a macrocyclic compound. And what it does is it'll, because it's got that methyl group, it'll form inclusion body complexes with what are known as guest molecules, okay? And what you what you get with the methyl methylation, not just beta-cyclodextrin, but methyl-beta-cyclodextrin, is you'll get a higher solubility of that compound as it's solubilizing into a membrane. Okay, so M beta CD can be used to actually enhance, first time it was used, enantioselectivity of subtilizing enzymes in organic solvents. So once they saw that in vitro, people realized you could use methyl beta cyclodextrin in vivo to look at membrane lipid alterations in a signaling pathway. In vivo here was just talking about cells, of course. Later on, entire uh, model organisms. So the methyl beta cyclodextrin is, a, is in ultimately a cholesterol removing agent, and it's used to study lipid raft disruption. There you go, lipid rafts. Remember ceramide and cholesterol lipid rafts coming to and leaving the plasma membrane. And it has to do with sphingomyelinase activity, as you recall. So it can be used, this methyl beta cyclodextrin can be used as a detergent to remove protein lipid detergent ternary complexes, okay? And it will basically allow you to do 2D membrane protein crystallization studies. And that's where it was first put together to be studied, okay? So 
understand that that's where it comes from. Now, paper published in Journal of Lipper Research, I told you that's a really good journal, tell us the following back in 2007. There are actually natural autoantibodies against cholesterol. And we find this in the sera of healthy individuals. But what they're doing in the body was never really unclear, never really clear. Now, this monumental paper published in 2007, so that's like 14 years ago, what they showed is that when you got a monoclonal anti-cholesterol antibody and you use it to immunize mice and in association with cholesterol-rich liposomes, those anti-cholesterol autoantibodies will, will be then shown as specific to cholesterol and will basically function also with three, all the family of three beta-hydroxysterols, which that's a big family. So that means these antibodies will react at the protein level now with VLDL, LDL, and HDL. Okay, that's a long story to tell you that you're going to be using this to modify lipoprotein activation. So what these antibodies do is they bind, usually with a rather low avidity, um, and you can use either human or murine lymphocyte modified monocyte macrophages to be able to do these studies, right? And what you see is that there is a moderate proteolytic digestion of the cell surface, when you've got these antibodies prepared in, in this model. And that will allow the researcher to remove extracellular protein domains. This then will yield a cell-bound autocholesterol antibody. And what was discovered is it will co-localize into these cholesterol-rich lipid rafts and also into KVOLA. Remember, those are high surface tension, high surface area regions of the plasma membrane where there's a lot of lipid transport activity to make things simple. They do more than that, and we talked about it, but they make it simple for now. So this is basically a cell surface associated phenomenon that allows you then to look at intracellular ER and Golgi complex interactions with the plasma membrane. And what these antibodies can allow you to recognize is that mobilization of the cholesterol rafts in and out of that ER Golgi complex, where you get synthesis of ceramide, either from the neutrosphingomyelinase or from the acidic sphingomyelinase, sphingomyelin or other sphingolipids, such as lactosyl uh, sphingolipids. But you also then can study cholesterologenesis within the same framework. This was done, for example, in human PIC disease uh, studies. I remember way back in the early 2000s when I was had a colleague that was studying this, actually. So, Let's go back a little bit further and look at a paper published in Cytometry back in 2006. Now, this paper tells us a lot. I got to go quickly. Atherosclerosis, major chronic inflammatory disease of the aging, we know is linked with hyperlipidemia, and there are all kinds of risk factors for the development and progression of these atherosclerotic plaques. We know that what they'll ultimately do is cause a rupture of the vasculature, and you get vascular thrombosis, and this can lead to stroke or if it goes into the cardiac system, it can, it can result in ischemic heart attack, and it also can result, obviously, in death. Now, at the cellular level, phagocytic monocytes will rapidly transform to macrophage foam cells, right, in this 
atherosclerotic plaque. And I told you how that functions, so that's CD36 pathway. So you're going to get basically an uptake of atherogenic lipoproteins by this CD36 receptor-mediated endocytosis. Now, enzymatically degraded LDL, let's call that ELDL, preferentially binds to monocytes, and that has shown that there's a high expression of a receptor, it's shown that all that occurs when you have a high expression of the receptor called CD14, cell differentiation factor 14. Now, that happens to be actually lipopolysaccharide receptors. So that's great because we know a lot about it. There are other receptors involved. We talked about these before. The FC-gamma R2, also known as CD32, and the FC-gamma R3, that's actually now CD16A, all of those receptors are associated with this lipoprotein-mediated endocytosis with enzymatically degraded um, uh, lipoprotein, okay? And that then revealed all those receptors I just told you about. Now, ELDL, but not oxy-LDL, which is naturally occurring in the blood, will activate complement. We know what that is. It's part of the immune response. And it's also far more potent, okay, in inducing foam cell formation. Okay, now that's all really critical for you to understand. So oxy-LDL is not as potent as enzymatically degraded. Now, what does that mean? Enzymatically degraded LDL means you're exposing the surface of all those receptors. You see, that's what that means. So basically, you get an internalization via a receptor-mediated uptake through clathrin-coated pits. This is all KVOLA physiology. And it's not a scavenger receptor so much as a constituent of that original phagosome, which then is right, moving back and forth to the plasma membrane, remember? Before it associated with a lysosome, phag phagosome, just a phagosome. Now, moreover, oxy-LDL will stimulate the Schwingel-myelin ceramide pathway, meaning basically what? You'll turn on the acidic Schwingel-myelinase, making the novoceramide. So you've got lipid-rich microdomains then generated within the cell upon this activation. Just follow along here. I know that it's going fast, but lipid-rich microdomains, and we're going to just basically just call those lipid rafts. Now, this paper published 2006, this is when they were first studying it. Isn't that why it's so cool to listen to authentic biochemistry? You get the details of when this was first discovered, the exciting times, right? So lipid rafts are the cell membrane, of course, are, have been well studied, and they're central to an understanding of cellular lipid homeostasis. What lipids? For example, sphingolipids and uh, sterolipids like cholesterol. Because it allows you to look at lipid loading within, within the plasma membrane and all those intracellular membranes, as well as how that lipid loading is associated with the function of the cell. So these lipid rafts are characterized by an enrichment of cholesterol, sphingolipids, particularly ceramide, and interestingly, saturated glycerophospholipids. They're also very insoluble, and because of that, detergents like Triton X100 and Lubrol will not break them down. This is helpful because you can use Triton X100 and Lubrol to remove all the other lipid components and then only study the stripped bare lipid 
rafts. And that's why you do this kind of study. So the rafts were thought to function as a platform for, again, we've talked about this many times, a, an association of signaling molecules. That's one thing, but also what? A platform for a dynamic interaction with receptors that are floating to the surface. So basically you get a concentrating of receptors for the interaction with the ligand and the effector molecules on both leaflets of the membrane. And then that will allow for an efficient and rapid coupling of activated receptors to the entire effector system, which can be intramembranous, intracellular, or even extracellular. Okay, So this is the whole concept. So ceramide induces, this is at the biophysical level, a coalescence of submicroscopic rafts. So you get this raft moving into a large ceramide membrane macro domain. And that's just because of self-association. How does that work? Guess what? Hydrogen bonding. So those macro domains with ceramide can then serve as platforms for protein concentrating of the receptors. And that gives you that oligomerization I was talking about 10 minutes ago. What does that allow you to do ultimately? Physiologically transmit signals across the plasma membrane. There you go. So the activation of the acid sphingomyelinase, of course, leads to that ceramide generation. Okay, remember, we talked a lot about this. Now you're starting to get into the mainframe understanding of how aging, when you have acid sphingomyelinase activity or an alteration of it, remember you alter that by changing the pH of the phagosome. You raise the pH of the phagosome, you tank ASM, the acid sphingomyelinase. It's called acid sphingomyelinase because it's active in acid pH. You understand? Okay, now you get to all that. Now, check this out. The activation of the ASM leads to ceramide generation, as we all know. That occurs because of stress, right? And that stress can include cytokine activation, but it can also include when people are on chemotherapy. And so when you get, when you're on chemotherapy drugs, and then what happens is with that, with the chemotherapy, you alter interleukin activity and something else called neurite growth factor. All of that's associated with chemotherapy, classical chemotherapy. What else can cause this activation of ASM? Radiation, UV light, heat, and of course, anytime you remove molecular oxygen, that always induces ASM. We also call that just basically ischemia. So ceramide activates a variety of diverse protein kinases and even subsequent, because you get feedback regulation, protein phosphatase-dependent uh, signal transduction cascades. And most of those can work to either promote or suppress cell growth on one end or PCD on the other, program cell death on the other. See how that works. This is all occurring subtly within T lymphocytes, for example. So ceramide, of course, can be got causalated. So you get glucosyl ceramides. In addition to galactose, you also get lactosyl ceramides. We talked about these two, lactose disaccharide. So you also, you find that you get both glucosyl ceramides, galactosyl ceramides, and then the lactosyl ceramides, all of those show up in atherosclerotic plaque. 
So OxyLDL specifically stimulates the biosynthesis of that lactoceramide. It does it because it enhances the activity of an enzyme called UDP galactose glucosylceramide beta 14 galactosyl transferase called GALT, GALT2. And that happens when you get native LDL um, being transformed into oxy-LDL because native LDL actually will prevent all of that. That's why it's been well shown that cholesterol is not causing atherosclerosis. It's oxysterol. That's when we first discovered back in the early 2000s that it's oxy-LDL, not LDL. In fact, it's not just that LDL is a precursor to oxy-LDL because of auto-oxidation in in the uh, circulation, but native, naive LDL that's not oxidized actually prevents all those things I just described to you, turning on ceramide and generating that aggregation of receptors. Do you understand? So LDL acts as a contrarian to oxy-LDL. That's the point. Yet LDL is a precursor to oxy-LDL. Okay. So I'm going to stop there because I know there's a lot of things we've covered, but I'm back into lipids and you know, Dr. Guerra just loves lipids, right? So I'm going to do a lot more about this. I'm going to also tell you how some of these studies are done because I love talking to you about basic science. And we're going to do that next time. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry on the 19th of October, hopefully with uh, finishing a very stimulating lecture with you guys. And um, this is me signing off saying bye for now.